Well, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the account I read from Luke's Gospel. Now, it was a unique night. There's never going to be another night like that. The actual resurrection day and the physical presence of Jesus Christ in the midst. But I believe this is a perpetual pattern that we can learn much from. The first point I want to make is the, the very presence of Jesus. Well, I mean, what a day uh, it had been. Uh, it begins very gloomily, uh, remembering the death of their wonderful uh, master on uh, what is now known as Good Friday, the, the burial, the tomb, the despair, two on the road to Emmaus, the gloom there, we had hoped. Uh, but then strange news starts to come from the area of the tomb. It's been found empty. The women have gone there. They say they've seen an angel who's told them he's risen. Peter and John dash off towards the tomb. Uh, uh, John gets there first. He's the younger one. But Peter uh, bundles in and looks inside and, and sees the empty grave and the grave clothes all folded up. Uh, and then the two on the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus manifests himself to, to them. Uh, and they arrive back to join the other disciples. And then we learn this. Here's what the text says. And as they were talking about these things. I want to emphasize that. Here's a group of uh, believers and they're talking about these things. What, what things? Well, they're, they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about his life. They're talking about the wonderful things that he said and did and the miracles. They're talking about the resurrection of Lazarus and the feeding of the 5,000. They're talking about the events of Friday and his death. They're talking about the burial. But they're also talking now about the resurrection and the strange news that is, is coming. And as they're talking about these things, we're told that Jesus himself stood amongst them. Not at the edge. He's not in the porch. He's not in the back room. He's not hiding away somewhere but he comes and stands physically now in the midst of them and he says to them, peace be with you. And it's like a, a Middle Eastern greeting. Uh, so he said to them, greetings. Or he said to them, hello. And they are startled. Now, the resurrection day, as I said, is, is utterly unique. We're not going to have a physical manifestation of Jesus Christ, we're not going to have his audible voice. His presence there caused quite a stir amongst the disciples. They're thinking initially, but we've seen a ghost, he has a, he has a spirit, and he has to help them. They were startled and frightened, they thought they saw a spirit. He asked them, why are you troubled? Why, why do doubts rise in your hearts? You see, you can see our hearts. He's seeing how they're reacting. See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me. He invites them to touch him. A spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see, I have. And then he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieve for joy, he asked them, have you got something to eat? And they give him some broiled fish and he eats it in their presence. Now, what, what's happening here? 
When Luke writes volume two, we've got it as the book of Acts, uh, he tells us in Acts chapter one and verse three that after his resurrection, Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Many convincing proofs. You're not seeing a spirit. It's a physical resurrection. That's absolutely vital because heroes, we will rise. And those early disciples had to be absolutely convinced. So Jesus gives them many, not one or two, many convincing proofs that he is alive. Touch me. See. Put your hand in my side. Put your hand in the, in the nail prints. Have you got something to eat? And he begins to eat in their presence. Many resurrection appearances at one occasion, 500 together in one place at one time. He gave many convincing proofs to those early disciples. Why? I tell you, they needed it. Of the 11 remaining disciples, 10 will die a martyr's death, proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. They had to be absolutely convinced that these things were true. And you and I, in reading these accounts, we have to think, did they really see him? And we know the historical records. They did lay down their lives. They did die martyrs' deaths, never recanting, always proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection. And although his physical appearance there was unique, as I'm saying, this is a perpetual pattern that we ought to be expecting. Because Jesus Christ is not only man, he's also the eternal son of God. Then we can be sure of this. Uh, he's here with us now. Because he's almighty God, God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing. But he's also omnipresent. So whether we recognise it or not, Jesus Christ is here. There's that general presence. But Christians are encouraged to cultivate his presence. Not, all, not to be satisfied with that general sense by faith. Well, he must be here because he's God. But we are encouraged to cultivate his felt presence. And Joseph Hart's great hymn, true religion is more than notion. Well, he's omnipresent, so he must be here. No, something must be known and felt. Christianity is experimental at its very heart. Or really, I'd say it's not worth having at all. Don't settle for dead religion. Don't go back to a hopeless emptiness. What we've been granted is the presence of the eternal God. So in John chapter 14 and verse 21, Jesus says, If you obey me, I will manifest myself to you. There's a very interesting passage at the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi and chapter 3. that records an incident where God's people are talking with each other. And clearly it's about the Lord. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him 
of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. God listening into our conversation. Now let me emphasize this then. It's something we've been missing very much in the last year. Corporate fellowship is a vital means of grace. The Word of God, prayer, communion, fellowship. Now we've had the Word of God preach, we can, we can pray. Communion, well, it was sort of there. Fellowship, we are being ushered out of the chapel fairly quickly, we can speak briefly outside, but we're missing a vital element. And I would say this, we, we need to use it and to use it well. Whenever there's an opportunity, I know, and again, talking this afternoon, oh, I, I, I'm getting a bit fed up of, of Zoom. Yeah, me, me, me too. But it's the best we've got at the moment. There is this, thankful for this, and the signs and prospects of things opening up. When are we back to some sort of normality? Uh, I don't know. Meanwhile, we need to cherish and protect and guard the opportunities that we do get to use them generously, making every effort. And when we are together, like here tonight, after the service, what do we talk about? Well, you know, general chat will bring his general presence. But if we talk of him, then he is there. He is there. I would encourage you and I, look, looking to be here when we can and to use the means of grace and to anticipate and to expect him. So I wonder right now in the service, what are you and I here for? What is it we expect in this service? Is it just to do our duty and go through a pattern of, of routine? Or am I actually expecting him to manifest himself to my soul. If I don't expect it, I'm hardly going to find him. But I ought to be expecting him, having an expectant soul, being on the edge of my seat. As they talked about these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst. There's the first thing, the presence of Christ. And then Jesus speaks, here's the second thing, the prophecies about Christ, verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Well, the law, the prophets and the Psalms, that's the entire Old Testament and everything written there is all about Jesus. It's all about him. In types and shadows and figures, it all points to Jesus Christ. He is the subject and the object of the whole of Scripture. Here's Jesus speaking in uh, John 5 and verse 39, speaking to the, uh, the Jews. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. The whole of the Bible 
pointing towards Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophets, Peter tells us in his first letter, they searched diligently, seeking what the Spirit was pointing towards. Of course, it's pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, the two on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24 and verse 25. Jesus said to them, now here's quite a word, O foolish ones, Jesus Christ knows, he can be pretty direct at times, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And there's the word. There's the word. But if it's just the word, it's wonderful to have the Bible. But if it's just the word, I'm reading it and I'm hearing preaching. And if that is all, I benefit nothing. Clearly, what happened here on this first resurrection night is again a perpetual pattern. And it needs to be happening constantly. It needs to be happening right now. So Luke 24, verse 45. He speaks about the prophets and the law and the Psalms. And then we're told this. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Now, without that special work of God by His Spirit, I can become an intellectual Christian, I can be very clever and know all my doctrines, but I can miss the point of it all. I need to encounter Christ Himself, and I need that unique work of the Spirit. I need Him to enlighten my mind and my understanding he opened their minds. I need to pray that myself constantly. Have you read your Bible today? Have I read my Bible today? Is this the second sermon or the first sermon you're hearing? Before I ever come to the Word of God, I've got to pray that prayer that comes in the Old Testament. That's Psalm 119, verse 18. Lord, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. And what is the wonderful thing I need to see? It's Jesus. He is wonderful. He is wonderful. If I'm finding my quiet times getting dry, I've got to rebuke myself and take myself in hand because I'm the foolish one. I've got to pray, Oh Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things out of your word. And when he does that, then our experience will be the same as the two on the road to Emmaus. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? What a sermon that must have been from Jesus Christ. But tonight we're not at a disadvantage. 
We have an equal opportunity with the two on the road to Emmaus. Although physically he's not here, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. By his spirit, he is as much here as he was on the road to Emmaus. And he is the one, if we've asked him, who's opening the scriptures to us and enlightening our minds that we might understand. And as he does that, not only are our minds engaged, but we feel something. Our hearts burn within us. Now, I have to say, this is all too rare, perhaps. But we need to ask. We need to ask. So there's the presence There's the prophecies. What is the purpose of the work of Jesus Christ? Why did he come to this sad little planet? Verse 46, the purpose. We've had the presence, prophecy. Now the purpose, pattern coming here. All starting with the letter P. And he, Jesus said to them, thus it is written. So he comes to the essence of what the gospel is all about that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible is all about. And that's what Christian testimony is all about. And that's what preaching is all about. It's about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Christ must suffer and then rise from the dead. That's what the Old Testament is all about, in type and shadow and prophecy and picture. It's what the Gospels are all about. It's what the letters are all about. It's what Revelation is all about. It's what the Bible is all about. It's all about Jesus, but not in a vague way. It's about his suffering, his death, and it's about his resurrection. As we thought this morning, the apostolic preaching was Jesus and the resurrection. Wherever they went, it was Jesus and the resurrection, such that those on Mars Hill thought he was speaking about foreign deities, Jesus and Anastasia, Jesus and the resurrection. And and so, let me emphasize again, every sermon must get here. Every sermon must get here. So... The end of August, I preached my last sermon here. And uh, we're looking for a new pastor. And eventually there will be men brought here. And they'll come and they'll preach in this pulpit. I want you to listen very carefully as uh, the man preaches. Might be very interesting, might be full of illustrations, might be full of up-to-date lessons and points that he's making. But here's what I want you to listen out for with all my heart. Does he get to the gospel? And not just to talk about the gospel, did he look to, to apply it? Is he speaking about Jesus? And not in a vague way. Is he going to speak about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross? Is he going to open up why Jesus Christ died vicariously? The only vicar, the just on behalf of the unjust. Will he tell you why he's dying to bring you to God? Will he speak about the resurrection from the dead being that sign that he is, who he claimed to be? His work works, and it's a sure pointer that we too will rise from the dead. I tell you, it will be vital for your spiritual well-being and your spiritual life and the well-being of this church 
that Jesus Christ and him crucified remains at the very heart and at the very centre. <laughs> Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. My friends, no cross, no power. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Then I read this just this afternoon. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can preach Jesus and the cross in a way that is powerless. Listen to what Paul says here. 1 Corinthians 1.17 For Christ did not send me to baptise but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. This isn't a philosophy. This is not an intellectual exercise. I need just to clearly lay out who Jesus is and what he's done on Calvary. And then the Holy Spirit takes that and applies it in power. So not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Fourth P, the proclamation. What am I to do with this message? Verse 47. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. As well as preaching the cross, I must preach... As a minister of the gospel, I must preach a response is necessary. So it's all right and it's wonderful to preach about Jesus Christ. He came, he lived, he died and rose again. So what? The application is this. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. My friends, if you're not yet saved, listening at home, here in the chapel, what you need to do on the basis of what God has done, you must repent. And that is that metanoia, turning away from self and sin and death and hell and turning to Christ. And you can't have one without the other. Repentance and faith go together. I turn from me, I turn to Christ, I turn from sin, I turn to righteousness, I turn from hell, I turn to heaven, I turn from hopelessness, I turn to that sure hope in Christ, repentance towards God, and then this wonderful promise, the forgiveness of sins. Could there be anything more wonderful than that? Now think back, if you've been a Christian for a long time, I mean 45 years, anybody beat 45 years? A couple of folks here, anybody, yes, another one there, beat 45 years? No. We tend to forget. If you're converted more recently, who's the more recent? Anyone been converted tonight? Anybody coming to faith? You know, what happens is a wonderful relief. Forgiveness of sins. Can there be anything more wonderful than that? The slate wiped clean. What a relief. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are Gone, now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. Praise God, my sins are gone. Yes, my sins are gone. What a relief. Finally and briefly, the last letter P, and we'll have a test at the end. 
you get your egg if you can name all five P's. Uh, the power. The power. Verse 49. Well, start at verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Here's God the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a wonderful thing to have the gospel. Don't take the presence of the Lord for granted. I need to be praying day by day. It's part of my daily prayers for his power in my life. Power to live and power to witness. It's a wonderful promise. We'll finish with this in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. Jesus himself teaching about prayer. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It was a unique day, that first Resurrection Sunday. But it is a pattern for all time. So remember that precious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophecies about him. The Old Testament, the Bible, is all about Jesus Christ. The purpose, his person and his work, must be declared. The proclamation, people need to repent and they will know forgiveness of sins and the power comes through God, the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a brief time uh, in your word. On this first day of the week, this Resurrection Sunday, we pray that we might know resurrection power in our lives, that some here tonight might believe for the first time, or folks watching uh, at home. For we who have believed, we thank you that to us he is precious, Thank you for the wonder of sins forgiven, peace with God and the certainty of heaven to come. Thine be the glory, risen conquering Son. Endless is the victory thou or death hast won. Amen.